0: In John chapter four, Jesus describes the kind of worshipers the father seeks. Verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now for the next few minutes, stay tuned to worship in spirit and truth with pastor Jeff Scoggins.
1: our scripture reading comes Romans chapter 7 verses 20 to 24, 20 through 24, and Paul is speaking. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, what a tremendous privilege it is to open your word and to be able to explore its depths. I pray that we would sense your spirit here speaking to us, that our hearts and our minds would be touched. Give me the right words so that we will be led to your throne this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, <clears throat> a little bit of a, uh, a quiz here, all right? Answer quickly. What color is paper? White, White. okay, it's easy, that's all right. What color is, uh, what color are clouds? White. What color are our walls? White. Not all of them, but yeah, white. What color is this uh, piece of Kleenex? Yeah. What do cows drink? Water. Water. Good. <laughs> <laughs> what, milk, water, milk. I guess when they're calves, they drink milk. But normally, you don't go out and milk the cows by giving them milk, right? You go out and you water the cows. Nine times out of ten, the person answering says, cows drink milk. Why? Because we've been thinking in white. We developed a little bit of a habit, an instantaneous little bit of a habit that made our minds think in a specific way. Everybody has habits. The way that you eat is a habit. The way that you answer the phone, the way that you shower, the way that you dress how you come to work, how you wake up in the morning. All of these are habits. Life is made up of habits. Most of what we do each day relies on habit. Some are good, some are not. We are rightly called creatures of habit. Unfortunately, some of those are bad ones. For some, we have bad sleeping habits. Some have bad eating habits. Some have habits of gossip, some have drinking and smoking habits, some have bad sexual habits, some have gambling habits, some have bad temper habits, some have bad work habits, some have habits of complaining and negativity, the list could just go on endlessly, right, of our habits. Fortunately, our bad habits are at least somewhat reasonable or understandable, aren't they? It's other people's habits that are a problem, right? That's what Mark Twain once said, nothing so needs reforming as other people's habits. Still, most of us would probably agree that it would be good for us to let go of a few things in our lives, some of our own habits, but we found that it's not so easy to do. Probably the most difficult part of overcoming an undesirable habit is arriving at the place where you really want to change it enough that you're going to actually do something about it. something Take some serious steps to do whatever it takes. And I suppose part of that is because we don't really recognize how far-reaching the consequences of our habits are. Maybe if we understood the cause-and-effect relationship, and if we understood how our habits affected our spiritual lives, maybe we'd be a little bit more serious. Bad habits hinder our relationship with Jesus. Do you agree with that? They do. Bad habits are actually a sin. Because what is a bad habit? A bad habit is something that hurts either you or somebody else or both. And if you knowingly are harming some other person, that's wrong. So we're going to search through the Bible today for some practical steps for overcoming undesirable habits. Christian author Ellen White writes, even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire persistently cherished will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. It's pretty serious. One persistent sin, persistently cherished sin, can block all the power of the gospel in our lives. But now here's Paul in our scripture reading, Romans chapter 7. This is what he says. I'm going to read it again. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death. The situation sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? But then he goes on in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a switch. What a wretched man that I am. And then he says, thanks. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, now listen to this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is no condemnation. But what's going on here? Let me get this straight. Persistently cherished sin can neutralize the entire power of the gospel. We got that on the one hand. But then Paul, who's still obviously struggling with savory to sin, says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Is there a conflict going on there? No, there's not. There's not a contradiction. Because cherishing sin is not the same thing as captivity to sin. Captivity to sin is a sinful habit that we are fighting that we want to be free of. Cherishing a sin is not fighting our sin. It's not trying to be rid of the sin. You see the difference there, right? One we're hanging on to, the other we'd rather not have. Maybe we justify it. You know, it's not not really so bad. It's just a little thing. It's not so important. It's not nearly so bad as what so-and-so does. Therefore, we don't try as much as we should to resist it. But there's no such thing as a small sinful habit that's kind of like saying it's just a little bit of cyanide. Doesn't matter, does it? It's enough to kill you. The truth is, is we all have these sinful habits that we need to overcome. We're enslaved by them. So today I want each one of us to think about a habit. You don't have to tell anybody. In fact, please don't. But think of a habit that you have that you would like to be rid of. And let's use that. Use that in your mind as we go through these these steps as ways that you can maybe deal with this habit. Okay, everybody have your bad habit in mind. Step number one, the first thing that we need to do in seeking to overcome a sinful habit is to pray for grace. Because grace is the active ingredient that God gives us for overcoming sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15.10 Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So when we pray for grace, according to this, it has an effect in our lives. If we pit our own human strength, weakness really, against Satan, we lose every time. The only hope that we have for overcoming his temptations is the grace of God. But we say that so easily. It's become cliche. You just need the grace of God. What does that mean? When I say the grace of God, I mean it, and the Bible means it, I'm sure, as this living, active, real substance, if you can call it that. I like to picture grace as a substance, something that God is able to pour into me. That's what Romans 5 5 says, that God pours his love into our hearts. So I I like to, to think of it like a liquid that God is actually pouring into me, and that is the ingredient, the fuel that I need to actively resist temptation and overcome bad habits. All I have to do to receive grace is ask for it and it's mine all you have to do is ask for it and it's yours when we pray for grace we're not praying for forgiveness we're praying for help when we say lord i need grace right now to resist such and such we are in effect calling out help please help me now give me the grace that i need because i'm weak that is the prayer The great thing about this is when the victory comes, we know that it came from outside of ourselves. We know that it was a gift from God. And that's a positive thing. So the first thing we try to do when we're overcoming a habit is to stock up on grace frequently. Stock up on grace frequently by asking for it and then accept as a reality that you've received it, that God has in fact given it to you. The next, step two, the next part of overcoming a sinful habit is to act firmly and decisively. Ecclesiastes 9 says, uh, 9.10 says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with what? Shout it out. Do it with your might, right? Give it all you've got. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. It's a great concept to apply to changing habits. When you put your whole heart into changing a habit, you're going to be more effective. Don't do it halfway. If you put your whole heart into it, you know, if you feel like you might fail, it probably will. There's a word for it in psychological circles, right? It's called a self fulfilling prophecy. You have to be determined. Like me, you've probably fought with habits for a long time without success. Fail, ask forgiveness. Fail, ask forgiveness. Over and over again. We get discouraged, we pray. We beg God, please take this thing away from me so that I don't have to be tempted by this thing anymore. We pray every kind of prayer imaginable, and we still fail. Is God not fulfilling His end of the bargain? Is that what's happening? I remember fighting with something many years ago, and I don't know if the time was finally right or what, but one morning in my devotional time, I read a chapter of of a book, and the words just hit me me like a sledgehammer. I don't even remember what it said. I just remember the impact. But as I prayed that morning, I made a decision about this habit like I had never done before. I was so determined that I decided what I needed to do was put some teeth into the promise that I was making God. In other words, if I fail again, Lord, there's going to be this consequence. And for me, I chose a financial consequence. (laughs) This is what I'm going to do. It was small enough that I would actually do it, big enough that I didn't want to. You know what happened? I suddenly began to guard against even the thought of this habit coming near me. Maybe it was a selfish reason. You know, I didn't want this financial consequence to hit, but I knew from experience that if I allowed that thought to come into my mind and if I dwelt on it, it would soon overcome me. That habit was just too much ingrained. And then I'd be facing this financial consequence. I learned something very important for myself that day. God never withheld grace from me when I failed. I wasn't taking hold of it. I wasn't accepting it. I wasn't making use of His grace. I had not been serious enough in my own decision to overcome the habit. It wasn't my own power. It was my decision. When I made that firm decision, God's grace turned out to be plenty sufficient. Plenty. He wasn't withholding grace. I wasn't accepting it. If we want to overcome a sinful habit, we've got to get to the point that we're willing to act decisively. Set up guards. Do whatever it takes, but be deadly serious about your decision. Number three, the next thing we do to overcome a sinful habit is to stop the first impulse. Second Corinthians 10.5 counsels us to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. Here's a metaphor. A habit is like a large boulder on top of a very sharp mountain. And as long as that boulder is perfectly balanced there, you can hold that boulder in place with a single finger. But... If you decide to let it come toward you just a little bit, all of a sudden, you've got to put more strength. And if you start to let it roll, forget it. You're going to be crushed. A sinful habit is the same thing. At the first impulse, the first hint of the thought, you can hold it back pretty easily by throwing the thought out now. Unfortunately, though, most of us entertain the thought. We toy with the temptation. We let it get heavier. We let that boulder come off balance just a little bit. What's the problem with thinking about it? In overcoming a sinful habit, learn to throw out the very first impulse. Now, I realize that that might not work so well with an actual physical addiction. I mean, tell a heroin addict, just don't think about it. Okay, that's a little bit unrealistic. Your body is in shakes and convulsions and headaches and whatever. That's a different situation. But most of our habits are not that. We might think it's a physical addiction, but it's, most of them really aren't. Generally speaking, our habits are not physical addictions. Stopping the first impulse by throwing out the, the first thought is possible, and it is effective in most cases. All right. Next, another way to overcome sinful habits is by avoiding those things that remind us of the habit. Ephesians 5:12, Paul says that we shouldn't allow some bad habits even to be mentioned among us. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 verse 12, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. We shouldn't even discuss some things, he says. We must drive those thoughts far away from our minds so that nothing will bring them back. This might mean intentionally avoiding places or things or conversations, maybe even people sometimes, that spark the temptation. It's possible. Now again, we have to qualify the idea because sometimes there are support groups that deal with these things where you talk about it. Okay, That's a different situation. Those can be useful. They can be effective. But there are sometimes things or people or situations that we must avoid. Sometimes we can't. Family members, you can't just Avoid them, but sometimes you can. I've heard of people that won't go into certain stores because that store sells something that they are trying to stay away from. So they go to a different store that doesn't sell it. Good for them. They they, they put some teeth into what they're trying to do. Some people have decided to use the internet only in a public area because they can't trust themselves what they'll look at when they're alone. Sometimes certain friends can actually lead us into temptation. Perhaps relationships like that will need to be suspended for a while until such time as that relationship does not take us away from God. If it's possible, that might be something that has to happen. In overcoming sinful habits, stay away from anything that you possibly can that will spark the temptation. Number five, admit weakness, but don't dwell on it. Admit weakness, but don't dwell on it. We just read how Paul felt himself to be a, a terrible person. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he shows how, how little he thinks of himself. He says, Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Okay, he recognizes his weakness. He admits how weak and sinful he is. He knows it. He's well aware. But he did not live there. God used him anyway. Even while he was growing spiritually, God used him anyway. God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. We're weak to stop our bad habits. It's true, but God promises strength overall. This calls for patient endurance. There's no question about it. Admit your weakness, but don't let it bring you down because God is by your side and he promises to bring you victory. Live there. Number six. Another step to avoiding sinful habits is to be balanced and avoid extremes. For instance, maybe somebody needs to overcome a bad eating habit. That person cannot say, I'm just going to stop eating. Right? That's an extreme. You've got to eat to live. Or say someone has a problem with exercise. The first thing to do, say, when you say, I'm going to start exercising, is not to go out and run a marathon the very next day. Right? There's balance here. In fact, speaking of of competition there, an athlete, 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And they do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. As part of his strict training, an athlete knows that he's got to eat, right? But he's careful what he eats. He plans the way that he eats. Jumping to extremes isn't helpful. Now, sometimes it is. If you're dealing with pornography, go ahead and quit cold turkey. That's an extreme that's good. But there is balance and there is extremes to be dealt with in breaking sinful habits. Number seven, another way to overcome a sinful habit is to fill the vacant spot with something good. The philosopher Erasmus said, a nail is driven out by another nail. Habit overcomes habit. Someone who wants to give up reading a certain kind of book, for instance, may choose to replace that habit with reading a different kind of literature. Find another habit that you will enjoy, at least with some cultivation. Matthew 12 tells the story about a man who had a demon cast out of him. But the demon couldn't find anywhere to go, and so it came back to the man. You remember this story? Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house that I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and it takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And then they go in and live there, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So when the evil spirit returned and he found his house swept out and clean but unoccupied, he had a place to live again. The man had cleaned up his act. He had gotten rid of these bad habits. He had kicked the evil spirit out. But he had neglected to fill his life up again with good things. So the demon went out and found seven more demons to join him and they all moved back in. To the empty life. The moral of the story, for today anyway, is when you kick out a bad habit, intentionally fill the empty space with something good. You've got to fill the empty space with something good. Understand, though, that when you're changing a habit, you can't expect, at least in the beginning, to enjoy the new habit as much as you enjoyed the old. You don't have that taste and you have to develop a new one. I remember deciding to stop reading a certain kind of book, you know, the entertainment that wasn't really worth anything. And when I started reading more productive reading, it was kind of like eating broccoli, you know, bland food. I'd been used to something more spicy, but you know what? I soon developed a taste for the new kind of reading, and now, frankly, I don't have any taste for the other. It goes away. Last thing that we're going to look at in overcoming sinful habits is to intentionally feed our minds a healthy mental diet. We say garbage in, garbage out. You've heard that probably from a lot of people, not the least of which was Jesus himself. He said in Matthew 12, 35, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings out evil things from the evil stored up in him. So whatever you put into your mind, that's what's going to come back out of it. Garbage in, garbage out. If we feed our minds a diet of trash, then trash is going to be exhibited in our habits. If we have a habit of anger and we continue to feed that anger and allow it to live, you're going to to be stuck with that habit. In order to vanquish a sinful habit, we have to starve it of fuel. Maybe you've seen this story going around on the internet A while back, a Native American story where the grandfather, in fact, I'm going to read it. A grandfather said to his grandson, who came to him with anger at a friend who had done him injustice, he said, let me tell you a story. I too have felt a great hate for those who have taken so much with no sorrow for what they do. But hate wears you down and does not hurt your enemy. It is taking poison and wishing your enemy would die. I have struggled with these feelings many times. It is as if there are two wolves inside of me. One is good and does no harm. He lives in harmony with all around him. He does not take offense when no offense was intended. He will only fight when it is right to do so and in the right way. But the other wolf, ah, he is full of anger. The littlest thing will set him into a fit of temper. He fights everyone all the time for no reason. He cannot think because his anger and his hate are so great. He is, it is helpless anger, for his anger will change nothing. Sometimes, he said, it is hard to live with these two wolves inside of me, for both of them want to dominate my spirit. The boy looked intently at his grandfather's eyes and asked, Grandfather, which one wins? The grandfather smiled and quietly said, The one I feed? the one I feed. We starve bad habits by feeding our minds a diet of good things and intentionally avoiding bad or maybe even what we might consider neutral things. Nothing is really neutral when you think about it. Philippians 4.8 says that, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. It's interesting that these were stated from a positive standpoint, not a negative standpoint. God does not say avoid what is false, avoid what is not noble, avoid what is wrong, etc. If he did, then we could defend certain habits by saying, well, there is nothing wrong with it, because it's not false, it's not ignoble, it's not impure. But since it's worded from the positive, we have to answer those questions with a firm yes in order to think that it's good brain food. Is it positive? Is it good? So when we pick up a magazine, pick up a book, pull up an internet site, we can quickly run through the list. Is what I'm about to feed my mind admirable? Is it good? Is it noble? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? If I can't say yes, then I probably ought to put it away. Read the back of your DVD cover. Run through the list, and you'll know whether it's good brain food or not. When you stop on a channel on a TV, run through the list. You'll know. If you can't answer yes to those questions, then your brain can do better. Nothing exists out there that doesn't affect us one way or the other. It either leads us toward God or it leads us away from God. It doesn't leave us in the middle. There is no neutral ground. If you want to control your habits, pay attention to what you feed your mind. Okay, just quick overview again really quick. Step number one, pray for grace. Step number two, act firmly and decisively. Step number three, stop the first impulse. Step number four, stay away from temptation-prone places or things or people. Number five, admit weakness, but don't dwell, don't live there. Find balance, avoid extremes, find a substitute good habit, and feed your mind a healthy mental diet. Our habits are important, maybe more important than we understand in living a life that is pleasing to God. God will give you the grace to overcome bad habits. We can do it in his power, but when he gives us that power, we've got to act on it. Christian author C.S. Lewis says of bad habits, the smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point, which from a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. May God's grace fill us, each one, and give us the victory over our sinful habits as we cooperate with his grace and we are transformed back into his likeness.
0: Thank you for joining Pastor Jeff Scoggins today for Worship in Spirit and Truth. We would love to hear your thoughts about the program and your financial support is also greatly appreciated so that we can continue bringing you these kinds of programs. Tell your friends they can find the program Spirit and Truth right here on this station. Stay tuned for contact information and more details from your local station to follow. Until next time, keep your mind fixed on Jesus.
1: This is Pastor Jeff Scoggins. Thank you for listening to Spirit and Truth. Often listeners contact me or the station wanting to know how to get a copy of a specific program or more information. All of these programs are archived as podcasts, and many of them are on video as well. You can find relevant links at my website, www.scoggins.biz. You will also find books and Bible study resources there as well. So if you didn't get to hear one of these programs all the way through or missed one in a series, you can find it by visiting scoggins.biz. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S dot B-I-Z.